moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, October 24th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 285. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's going on, everybody? We've got another busy Tuesday edition of our show today. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. We'll have the former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, joining us. We'll catch up on everything regarding the Israeli-Hamas war with Brian Leib, and we'll be getting an all-access pass inside the Trump campaign with one of our favorite commentators, Special Assistant to President Trump, Mr. Boris Epstein. A lot of breaking news. The Speaker of the House race was nearing the finish line, then it wasn't. We've also had all of our congressional guests rescheduled today because they are still in Republican conclave. Donald Trump rocked a speaking event in Perry, New Hampshire, yesterday as he completed his registration to appear on the ballot there in the primary. And are we really on the threshold of World War III? Many people are saying we are. We'll dive into that as well. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it up to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Ro Noah, still here. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcasting. Anything started today, I can't think of any fancier way to do it. He is a government gangster manhunter, former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to President Trump, and one of our great friends, Mr. Cash Patel, is here. Cash, what's going on? There's definitely a lot of fancier ways to start your show. You could literally draw like a stick figure with a top hat and it would be fancier than having me. But I love being back on the program. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing good. We're doing real good. And uh, Do I have to put a top hat on cash for the show art today? I was just going to say people are going to start doodling. <laughs> out oh. Only if you use the monocle thing and the spectacle. For oh, the you want to be Mr. Peanut? So we're going to do. No, no, the Monopoly guy, not Mr. Peanut. That guy's, you know, second class. Yeah. You're going to have to take handsome cash and put oh. a top hat and a monocle on him. Got it. All right. It's so, extra work, but I'll do it. Perfect. Um, cash, nothing is going great right now. Uh, we, not we, really. we see that the Speaker of the House race is kind of derailed again. They have a new Speaker nominee. Oh. It's uh, Majority Whip Emmer, who America First really doesn't like that much, but he's still like 30 ish votes short of, uh, you know, being able to get confirmed <laughs> on the House floor. So back to the drawing board. Um, I'd like to thank whoever in our listenership also sent us that meme of Capitol Hill with the black smoke coming out of the top of the rotunda because oh, we've geez. we've been calling the process the uh, conclave. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the the House Republican conclave, and and we still don't have a nominee for the gavel wielder. No white smoke yet. No white smoke. No, it's been it's been ugly. So what what can you say for our men and women up there? I mean, obviously uh. there, there's a small group of holdouts that have kind of held the line for America First. We had Virginia Congressman Bob Good on here last week. I mean, you know, he's a big supporter of President Trump, spoke highly of him throughout the course of our interview. And, and But, you know, it, it gets down to the point where this is the last battle. We've already been able to defeat McCarthy and Steve Scalise in the nomination process. This would finish up leadership outside of, you know, Rep Stefanik, who's a big supporter of President Trump anyway. So as you see this thing shaking out, we knew it wasn't going to be a smooth and easy process. But what do you think? Well, you know what they can't do when they don't have a speaker is pass a CR. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm not really uh, uh, 
I'm not really all down in the, the, the dumps just yet because I don't want a CR. I don't want an omnibus. That's the whole point of the conversation we're having. That's the reason McCarthy got ousted. And it's the reason, you know, guys like McHenry are never going to have a chance because they're the ones that authored the disastrous debt deal that they punted to after the 2024 election. I mean, the, the one of the central platforms that we were supposed to be talking about, <clears throat> our supposed teammates kicked down the road. But, you know, it's not that our investigations from the committees were on hyperdrive to begin with. They can still continue. Um, I, I don't see the speakership as a delay in that process, but the media uh, will spin it as such. But, you know, to be honest, most people in those positions weren't doing anything anyway. I mean, the House Intel Committee wasn't looking at, you know, the three Iranian Palestinian infiltrators in our government that have um, overseen Iranian intelligence collection and our diplomatic engagements there have been caught with either pro-Palestinian, pro-Iranian regime connections or direct connections, including emailing the foreign ministry and asking permission to work on behalf of U.S. policy. So it's a sideshow to me, the speaker deal, and I don't really know where it's going to go. No, it seems like at this point, I mean, the only deal that we're going to see made is one with the Democrats eventually for a super moderate, and I don't think anybody wants that. But at some point, they do have to get back to work. We're going to have a government shutdown if they can't figure it out in a couple weeks on November 17th. That CR runs out, and they do need another Band-Aid to get through the holidays because nobody wants to stay in Washington, D.C. for Christmas. And, uh, you know, I just think that watching this kind of unfold in real time, it's been really interesting to see. One of the things that I kind of remind our listenership too, if you haven't heard the Bob Good interview from last Friday, was that if you look at the congressional calendar, two of the last three weeks, these guys were supposed to be back in district. So they weren't even supposed to be up on Capitol Hill. And he said, when you take, take the one week of maybe not motioning to vacate Kevin McCarthy, what could have happened? Possibly new deals that helped the Biden administration. So we're not in an as bad situation as many would think. We, we just kind of want to see this thing move forward a little bit and for them to pick somebody with, I guess, an actual pulse. <laughs> Good luck. Mm. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go, but you're right. It's not It's not doom and gloom. I don't want a CR. And maybe the government does need to shut down so that America can learn its lessons about stop sending goobers to Congress who are going to light our tax money on fire and basically explode our futures for our children and grandchildren. Maybe that's the lesson they actually need to take, to take up on. And... <clears throat> We'll see. I don't want people not to have money during the holidays and et cetera. But remember, a government shutdown is the biggest boondoggle in government, U.S. government history. Everybody gets back pay. It's not like we're never going to give you the money. Everybody gets paid in full. And really, how many Americans, by the way, are affected by a government shutdown? It actually affected. Like, that's not the media. Oh, it's true. I mean, they have nothing to report on. So there you go. Well, Cash, I do want to kind of segue here because there are some more important things going on around the globe. Specifically, World War III looks like it's kicking off. I mean, we have saw what happened in Israel three weeks ago. We had you on the show shortly thereafter to provide some commentary on this. We all agreed that part of the big reason that Hamas was able to attack Israel in the fashion it did was the complete breakdown in the intelligence community, especially here in the United States. They'd much rather send you know, people who need their pronouns in their bios and transgenders and furries into the Department of Defense and throughout the intelligence agencies than people that actually want to go in there and do the work that needs to be done. We, we've seen a lot of stuff develop over the course of, of the last couple of weeks since we had you on the show, though. These massive rallies in the streets supporting Palestine. You know, we're starting to see things like Hamas and Islamic Jihad and even ISIS flags countermingling within these groups that are protesting. We've also seen the American media kind of try to skirt out of the, the narrative here, the atrocities that happened only 18 days ago in Israel. I mean, I do like to remind our listenership that we did go 
to two different 20-year wars over the 9-11 attacks, and, and we just had something similar in, in a much more gruesome fashion happen in Israel uh, just a few weeks ago, and it's already like the media is saying, you know, only things like ceasefire and restraint when they talk about Israel preparing for the next uh, phase of their counteroffensive. So as someone who worked in the de- defense industry, and was an advisor in that, you know, you were up on Capitol Hill and in the Pentagon. Not only that, you have an extensive counterterrorism background. How are you seeing this thing shaking out right now? Not good. Pretty bad. Getting worse. Going to be a long offensive. We're at war. I mean, we, the U.S., aren't at war yet um, with boots on the ground, but this is a world war. And it was one that could have been prevented like we did in the Donald Trump administration. But when you prioritize your intelligence collection and your national defense mission, around climate change and the setting sun, (laughs) and you don't focus on Hamas and terrorists and Hezbollah and Iran, well, this is what happens. And that's the same reason the Israelis, quote unquote, missed it. They didn't miss it. Their leadership intentionally told them not to look for it. And people are saying, oh, there's going to be somebody who had intelligence that Hamas was planning attack. That's like saying we have intelligence that the cartels are going to put drugs into America. Everybody has that intelligence every day. But unless your leadership focuses on the originations of that intelligence and who's paying for that and how do we counter that, then this happened. This is the result of woke administrative policies set by radical left-wing media and the corrupt government they conspire with to, to you know, bring more diversity, equity, and inclusion and have, you know, LBGTZFP days and whatever <laughs> pride things. You know, everybody, each their own. I'm all about that. But you can't reprioritize the national security mission <clears throat> and expect it to do its job. And I want America to learn the hard way, unfortunately, here, that look at what Trump did and look at what Biden's done. And, you know, the rest is for you to decide. You know, that's the next kind of thing I want to segue to. President Trump has looked stronger than ever on the campaign trail. He registered to have his name on the ballot in the primary in New Hampshire yesterday. He was out there, you know, signing hats and kissing babies and had a great speaking, (laughs) uh, you know, event in New Hampshire that we're going to cover a little bit later in the show today. But... When you look at the foreign policy comparisons and the huge differences, the the world was pretty much at peace, and now the world is essentially at war. And and when you see how the plan with Joe Biden and his administration to continue the kowtowing and the catering to the Mm -hmm. Iranian regime, which which is definitely funding things like Hezbollah and Hamas and, and definitely contributed to that attack that happened in Israel, when, when President Trump choked them almost to the point of internal revolution, which was definitely something that was going on in Iran before Joe Biden assumed office. Now, when President Trump is out on the campaign trail, and he's not only talking about reinstituting all of the Trump era policies and parts of the Trump doctrine that was successful, you have the fact that he's adding new things to the immigration aspects of Agenda 47. Like if he sees these people on college campuses waving around Hamas flags and they're here on a student visa, they're gone. If there's people yeah. who haven't obtained U.S. citizenship and they came here as a refugee or an asylum seeker and they're out parading in the streets causing damages and, and a ruckus, you know, doing things that are like anti-Semitic or, you know, just beating up protesters and stuff like that, they're gone. And and I think it, it kind of continues to separate President Trump from the rest of the fake primary field as someone who's not willing to just talk the talk, but was willing to do it at the moment he gets back into office. No, you're totally right. Look, if President Trump doesn't have the constitutional free speech authority to challenge a rigged presidential elections, then terrorist organizations walking down the streets of America and infiltrating our universities and our government definitely don't have a free speech right to be chanting and cheering on death and murder and the degradation of the American society as we know it. So let's use their system of justice against them, except as is always the case, they basically come after us 
they they um, project onto us what they are actually doing themselves that's illegal. And this has been a continuing trend there. So, yeah, we need the mass deportation that Donald Trump's calling for. It's the only course correction there is to fixing Biden's 225,000 illegals coming in every month, dozens of which are known terrorists or known terrorist affiliates. And Chris Ray and Alexander Mayorkas, they don't know where they are. Well, that's great. <clears throat> that makes us feel really good. This is the two dozen they're admitting to us. Are you telling me there's not hundreds of more criminals, cartel members, thugs, human traffickers, and terrorists that are being seeded through our southern border by Iran, the CCP, and Russia? Of course there are. This is what these guys have been waiting for, an open border policy, a multi-front war in two different countries, and the United States of America is being laughed at by the likes of the Saudis and uh, the Emiratis, and our president can't even get a meeting with the King of Jordan. So, uh, yeah, I think we've fallen a little bit. How big is it on the world stage, Cash? I know you've touched on this a couple of different times on the show, but just in real time over the course of the developments the last few weeks, is it for the, the Saudi regime to not only be ignoring the United States of America right now after all the work we did under the Trump administration, but essentially working with Iran for the first time in decades? I mean, this is as bad as it gets. <clears throat> you know, they are the largest state sponsor of terror. They are well-funded, thanks to Joe Biden giving them a billion dollars or $6 billion, excuse me. China's coming in behind them. Russia's selling them arms. They're going to get our weapons from Afghanistan, and they're going to be used against us in attacks that they're being deployed out by Hamas and Hezbollah eventually, I think. And their most important um, issue is going to be a nuclear weapon. That is the one thing we shut down for Iran. And we have zero visibility as to Iranian nuclear weapons grade material capabilities. The UN uh, mission inspectors were kicked out. Not that they were great anyway, but at least there was something. And Iran has basically given us the middle finger. We're going to use this money for whatever we want. We're going to launch a full scale world war. We're going to go back and attack America's allies. And I already think they have a nuclear weapon. Yeah. I think the reactors have been on for two and a half years. Since the day Joe Biden got in there, because the one thing that deterred him was their 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 suffocation from the international banking system, thanks to Donald Trump's huge tariffs um, and sanctions policies uh, with our allies around the world. Those are all gone. So they're having a, they're having a dance party with the CCP and Russia, and the global world order is about to uh, be upended. And you know, all Joe Biden does is take a walk on the beach. Well, I'm glad you've painted a nice little picture for our listenership today. We're going to be jumping into the latest on the speaker race in just a minute. But, Cash, for anyone that's not following you and wants to check you out, we know there's only one place we can direct them, and we'll get to that in a second. We are going to live link your organization and links for Government Gangsters, the best-selling book that you just put out. I'm about halfway through it right now. But where can they check you out on social medias? Truth Social, the only place. Truth Social at Cash, at K-A-S-H. I'm Lighten it up there. That's the only place I'll do it. I'll ever do it. It's free speech. It's free censorship, free social media. And it's the only place that we uh, like to interact with you on social media as well. This is the former special assistant of President Trump, chief of staff to the DOD, and PAPS enthusiast. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show today. <laughs> thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. As always, your program is one of my favorites. So happy to come back. Thanks, Cash. We need to actually have someone who can unify us, who can actually come from the diverse and unique backgrounds that represent all of America. And I truly do think that that person, in my personal opinion, and a person that I wouldn't divorce and stand behind, is Congressman Byron Donalds. A fellow congressman from Florida as well, do you think he would have the votes to be able to get there? Because so far, we have not seen from Scalise to Jordan, and obviously 15 rounds from McCarthy, to, t to get there.
Does Donald have it? I think he does. And I'll, I'll tell you one of the big difference. A lot of people who've been in Congress for 10 and 15 and 20 years, over time, they've built bad blood. Maybe there's some animosity there. Maybe there is some uh, disconnect between the various uh, kind of individual families, as they call them, whether it's you know, the Freedom Caucus or mm -hmm. whether it's RG2, Main Street, et cetera. Byron hasn't been there long enough to develop all of these bad blood. But he also represents not only the fact that he's a true, strong legislator, he understands finance and economics. He sits on the financial services. He's been an appropriator. He's been a state legislator. But he also represents the uniqueness and diversity of, of America, of our country. You know, he was raised by a single mother. This is a man who grew up in rough parts of New York who understand the importance of a safe and stable community, not trying to look at all the criminality that's going on with the soft on crime policies. This is a person who truly has been you know, a mediator in many ways. And I've seen him personally, whether it was the H.R. 2 Secure the Border Act, whether mm -hmm. it was H.R. 1, the Low Cost Energy Act, come in between these five families, these various factions within the Republican uh, conference and yeah. really try to unite and bring them together. And that's what we mm. We're jumping into the news portion of our show right now. That was some really nice commentary from one of our great friends, Corey Mills. What do you think, Noah? I like it. I like Byron Donalds, too, don't you? When are we having him on again? Hmm. He's not the speaker delegate he lost in conference today. I know, but when are we going to have him on anyway? Oh, soonish? Yeah. I'll have to reach out to Larry. He likes to tell me that he'll be coming on soon. You're then... killing me, Larry. Hey, listen. Congresswoman Boebert may or may not be here at the end of the segment today, thanks to the Republican conference that continues to spin out of control today. We're going to take you with the events of the last 24 hours and leading up to today's vote, if there is one. Like I already spoiled it, Tom Emmer is going to be the speaker delegate. However, he does not have the votes to get there at the moment. Imagine that. Weird. So weird. You know, we saw Byron Donalds lose, I believe, in round three, and then it was between Louisiana Representative Mike Johnson and Tom Emmer, essentially setting up a battle of K Street versus America First. Round three, we took out McCarthy. We denied Scalise. Emmer's next in line. And here we are with not enough votes. I, I received a text from another congressman just a few minutes ago, and I'm going to read those votes that are preventing Emmer from wielding the gavel. Rick Allen voted for Johnson. Jim Banks, Jordan, Andy Biggs voted present. Josh Brican voted for Jordan. Mike Cloud, Jordan. Andrew Clyde, Jordan. Mike Collins, Jordan. Eli Crane, Johnson. Warren Davison present. Bob Good, Johnson. Paul Gosar, Jordan. MTG, Jordan. Dan Harshberger, Johnson, Ronnie Jackson, Jordan, Tom Massey, Jordan, Max Miller, Jordan, Corey Mills, Donald, as you just heard, Troy Nell's present, Ralph Norman, Jordan, Andy Ogles, Jordan, Scott Perry, Jordan, Chip Roy, present, Keith Self, Jordan, and Greg Stubbe, present. So those are the votes right now before coming to the House floor to see if we can have a new speaker or not that are holding Tom Emmer back. And I, I think that we're at a point right now where we really need to kind of hold the line. You know, you saw stuff developing over the weekend. Kevin McCarthy went out on all the Sunday morning news circuit and made his pitch for Tom Emmer. You had a lot of people in the Freedom Caucus getting behind Byron Donalds. But when it came to the conference vote today, you didn't see that as much because they eliminated him in the third of five rounds, I believe it was. Yeah, when the guy that you just kicked out submits another candidate, that, that's probably not the guy either. Yeah, if you, if you didn't think that... uh K Street was going to go quietly. You kind of need to get your head examined. Donald Trump was on the road yesterday in New Hampshire. I got a couple clips from him. They were asking about his feeling on Speaker of the House. And 
believe it or not, Tom Emmer reached out to him via phone call this weekend and was probably seeking an endorsement. He did not get it, but Donald Trump gives us a little insight into it. Let's hear it. Did you endorse uh, Tom Emmer for speaker? He hasn't historically been your biggest fan, but he is the most likely candidate right now. Well, I think he's my biggest fan now because he called me yesterday and he told me I'm your biggest fan. So I don't know about that. Uh, well, we're looking at a lot of people and, you know, I'm sort of, trying to stay out of it as much as possible. But they'll get it straightened out. But no, I've always gotten along with him, and uh, I get along with all of them. Really. A lot of good people. We have a lot of great people. You know, and it's funny, Tom Emmer had even had gone so far last night to take some questions inside of his office in strategically placed portions of the room where he had reset up photos, framed photos of him with Donald Trump back from when he was president. Oh, convenient. So convenient. <laughs> it's just funny the way that this stuff... They still have, like, the CBS... Uh... There's, like, the little <laughs> glue still on the corner of the picture from where they scraped the price tag off. But that wasn't as funny, believe it or not, as what Donald Trump thought. The only person who could probably come down, if you know what I'm saying, run for the gavel and actually wield it. Let's hear him. Well, I think it's going to get solved, and when it does, it'll be a beautiful thing, and uh, it'll teach a lot of people about democracy. That happened once before. It's very tough with the four votes, you know, with the four-vote spread, but uh, something's going to happen. It'll be positive. It'll end up working well. I'm staying above it. I have to right now, but I've uh, spoken to just about all the candidates, and quite a few of them. And they're terrific people. You know, that four threshold is very tough. It's a very tough thing, no matter who it is. I said there's only one person that can do it all the way. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus came down and said, I want to be speaker. He would do it. Other than that, I haven't seen, I haven't seen anybody that can guarantee it. But at some point, I think we're going uh, to have somebody pretty soon. Mr. President. So at this point, it looks like the only full complete and total endorsement that Donald Trump is giving out is for to Jesus, our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you want to know what? I'd I mean, put... that would be the second coming. So that'd probably be bad. Yeah, that's true. Or good. Depending on how you look at it. If you start floating out of your chair before the end of this podcast, I'm going to worry. I might push back on the 45th president with that narrative. I, I don't know if at this point people can get 217 votes, even the chosen one. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, Democrats would vote against him. You know, I have some very disturbing news. You know, we always make fun of the gals over at the Ruthless Podcast, right? Uh-huh. Two points from their latest edition of the show that came out today, which is Tuesday. Number one, guys, cite our show, please, when you glean pieces of information. They cited our reference to the Chinese rice bags that were being used as strategic defensive positioning sandbags mm -hmm. in the Gaza Strip today directly and, and said, I shouldn't have to go on some other podcast to hear that information. It should be in the news. Oh, come on, guys. Then, with open arms. I know you're listening. They're trying to steal our Mike Collins. How dare they? <laughs> we have been... On the Mike Collins Express since the first time he ran for Congress and when he was the RNC chair in Georgia. Yeah. We have been friends with Mike Collins for a long time. I sent Noah the video yesterday. I know a lot of you guys probably saw it circulating. <laughs> Mike Collins brought out like two or three memes printed out, like on five-foot poster boards. Those were huge. The one that was the best was 
the two people that are in bed and the girl's like, I bet I, he's thinking about other women. And the guy's thinking like, I wonder who can get to 217 <laughs> votes. <laughs> Mike Collins also left leaflets around the Capitol yesterday. <laughs> Tell me what they said. Talking about his speakership platform. If he was ever nominated. My platform for Speaker of the House, number one, the House must work longer hours than the United Auto Workers Union, who are currently on strike. Ooh, dang. All 12 appropriation bills must be passed out of committee before August, recess or no recess. I like that. Yeah. I also like Carmine's for dinner at every conference. Oh. Mm, Quite delicious. Yeah. Past term limits, press releases are out, memes are in. Okay. Wider parking spaces, ones that can fit up to 18 wheels. Nice. No omnibuses, minibuses, or short buses. <laughs> it's hard not to love him. Yeah, well, he's great. No money to Ukraine until the southern border is actually secured. Yep. A chicken in every pot. Okay. No more having to listen to Frank Luntz, Kevin McCarthy's boyfriend, at Republican <laughs> retreats, and no secret side deals. So. Yeah. I, I mean, a secret side deals should be out regardless. You know, I reached out yesterday to one of our favorite members of Congress, probably the most colorful one in the Republican conference, Mr. George Santos, when they broke last night and decided that they were going to have, you know, the votes in the morning. And I said, honestly, how does it look? And he said, at this point, it's still up in the air. He wasn't lying as the events of today have unfolded, showing that we still are way off on a, on a speakership based off the amount of people who are still pushing back on Tom Emmer's no- nomination. Matt Gates has been doing some quick episodes of his podcast, Firebrand, from the U.S. Capitol, kind of as everything has played out over the course of the last few days, just to give his listenership an update. I don't think that he's really on board with Tom Ever because he had some colorful things to point out about his past yesterday on the Firebrand podcast. Let's hear it. We are live broadcasting to you right now from the Rayburn building. But if I were to take about... 30 or 40 steps outside of this building, I would go across the street where there is an office building for the Republican National Committee and the National Republican Congressional Committee. Across the street from the Capitol is where our party leaders and bosses often meet with lobbyists to get commitments for them to provide money and then ultimately to receive those donations in the form of fundraisers, gatherings, policy conferences, dinner, That all happens just across the street from where we are right now. When you're in the Capitol building, it is not only verboten, it's quite literally against the law to talk about fundraising and donations. You have to do that across the street. You can't do it in the Capitol building. Astonishingly, I watched former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy make the case on Meet the Press that what's most important when evaluating a potential candidate for speaker is not just how they will lead inside the Capitol building. It is what they will do across the street for the lobbyists and special interests. Take a listen. This is not a moment in time to play around with learning on the job. We need someone who understands how to do this job. I believe Tom Emmer, our whip, 
He's been in the room with all of our successes, from our bills to secure the border, from parents' bill of rights, from cutting $2 trillion, getting work requirements. He knows how to do the job across the street at the same time, helping us win the majority. He's, he sets himself head and shoulders above all those others who want to run. We need to get him elected this week and move on and bring this, not just party together, but focus on what this country needs most. So did you hear the tell? Kevin McCarthy, while in endorsing his preference for House Speaker, literally referenced the across-the-street work as central to the position. You see, it's, it's the parlance in Washington that you talk about the people who are best at laundering special interest money at being good across the street. I, can't, I just can't believe that. That was so off-putting to me, so debasing that the way we have to evaluate leadership is based on who can go and launder the most lobbyist money. And, and then all of that money has strings attached. Now that kind of lays that out. Noah, when you kind of hear Kevin McCarthy go out there over the weekend and make the case for Republican whip, whip. Tom Emmer stating that not only is he good legislatively, but he's also the person that could whip up, whip up the big bucks. I don't necessarily like that either. No, I think anybody who's being posed as the next choice by the guy you just kicked out should be taken a look at in a very, very critical eye. So you're saying heavily scrutinized? Like scrutinize the shit out of him. Hmm. I like that. Or just consider him a non-option. How about that? You know, there's people today saying that Mac Gates is also assisting in Tom Emmer obtaining the speaker gavel, but based off that clip that I just played, I don't know if something's changed over the last 48 hours. However, for a lot of people that are just taking pot shots at the Florida congressman today, I'd say this. Matt Gates has always been good at not only posting on his social media, but appearing in Twitter spaces, and again, like we had just heard, doing his own podcast, explaining himself out. Uh, I don't think that voting for Emmer at this point would save him any kind of face in the mess that some people are accusing him of making. We think it's a great part of the process, but, you know, obviously he has his detractors. But I would probably wait for Congressman Gates to come out and explain himself if that is the case, rather than just take pot shots at him on social media, which is kind of, you know, the puss boy way to go at it. Yeah. Moving along, I do want to remind everybody that based off that list of congressmen and women who voted against Emmer, we'll have to see what's changed over the last 24 to 48 hours that has opened up Matt Gates' eyes to a possible Tom Emmer speakership. Or, yeah, and if, there was, and if there was something that came out that led us to believe that this guy was actually a good choice, then yeah, maybe, but I'm he, suspect. Yeah, he definitely is not. Much like uh, Representative Womack, who's been annoying ever since Kevin McCarthy has been motioned to vacated, he was a never-Jordan guy. He wanted Steve Scalise in there as well. He was the guy last week we played the clip on who said, I'm not voting for Jim Jordan simply because Matt Gates wants him. He jumped on CNN yesterday with fake news Jake Tapper to cry about it a little more. Let's hear him. But you know what? None of us out here care. Really. I know. Well, like, it's just like, get over it. We see Nancy Mace. One of your members blocked Nancy Mace, and then Nancy Mace made a kitty cat, a, a pussy cat, more aptly. Uh, she she called him a pussy. Him. It's just like, seriously, this is like high school, but, like, we need... Like, there's legislation that is, like, there are literally Americans being killed abroad, and we need this to work. Yeah, that's, that's kind of offensive to high school people, because it's really junior high stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is really, that's a good point. this, is, this, this is junior high stuff. I mean, look, we, we get wrapped around the axle of a lot of 
nonsensical things. But yes, the world is burning around us. Uh, we're fiddling. We don't have a strategy. Our rules uh, direct us to do this a certain way. And quite frankly, I, I don't like relitigating the past, but uh, the fact that Steve Scalise never got a chance to get his candidacy to the, to the floor of the House and test that vote uh, was disappointing to me. And it, it, it formed the basis for why I went the way I went in every vote that I took, uh, took this week. But we'll, we'll hear from the candidates. There will be a bunch of them. Uh, only one of them will survive. I don't know who that will be. I haven't looked at the field. We will hear from them Monday night and then vote perhaps on Tuesday, and it will probably be like uh, what we call Queen of the Hill, you know. We'll, the last one will be out, and then we'll go back and do it again. Queen so, of the Hill? Uh, look, this is not over. Wow. Bringing you up to the minute right now, the House Republican Conference has broke for lunch. It's in the 2 o'clock hour on Capitol Hill right now, and they will be reconvening after 4 p.m. to continue to whip for the whip Tom Emmer. Now, you know, there's been some really telling bits and pieces of information of Tom Emmer's past that have come out over the last couple of days. I do have to give credit where credit is due. Laura Limwer put out a really great investigative post that dove deep into Tom Emmer's ties to not only K Street, but takes it a step further to the international lobby community, including George Soros. That's definitely a red flag for me. Nobody likes that guy. Also, she rehashed a video that had just started circulating again online where Tom Emmer spoke on a panel in 2011 calling for the abolishment of the Electoral College and that all presidents should be chosen based off the popular vote. Oh, wow. Which means we would have had Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and now Joe Biden if Tom Emmer had his way. Gross. Very. Yeah, also, that's not a good thing. No, definitely not a good thing. And, I, and again, I want to cite Laura Loomer on that one because, you know, she always has some great investigative journalism going on as part of her repertoire. She does now have a podcast that's airing a couple times a week as well. I know she's had Jason Miller and Roger Stone on there recently, great guests. Donald Trump reposted that post that I just referenced twice yesterday on True Social. So you know it hit home. What also should hit home is Liberty Scores. You know, we, we, we talk about how important these people are for us, especially if they're going to be in positions of leadership. And we know that the higher you get and the more money you start to earn as a congressman outside of your salary, the worse your liberty score usually gets. And that's how conservative you vote. Just in talking about some of the people that ran today, well, let's get down to at least the last three. So Byron Donalds has a 100% score. Liberty score. Yeah. Mike Johnson, who was the America First alternative, he had a 74% score. And then there's Tom Emmerett, coincidentally, 69%. Yeah. Not so so good. So less than 7 out of 10 votes on the floor, he will vote America First or constitutionally or things that are prudent to the Republican Party. Byron Donalds was caught going into the vote today before he would be eliminated and kind of teased a hopefully swift end to this process. Boy, was he wrong. Let's hear it. Your pitch going to be in there. Uh, look, my pitch is very simple. Uh, this is going to be a process where it's uh, member-driven, not speaker-driven. Uh, we need to get back to work, secure our border, fund our government responsibly, and hold this administration accountable. 
And last but not least, our members, we got to be focused on purpose and mission. That's it. I spoke to the president. I think the president is going to watch us do our process. Um, I think he's going to be happy uh, with who's going to be the next speaker of the house. And, uh, and I, I think, you know, that's what's going to happen. Do you want his endorsement and what difference could that make? Listen, I love the president. Hillary Clinton? He has supported me. Of course, <laughs> I've endorsed him. But right now, this is going to be a process of and by the members. And uh, I think we're going to be done pretty quickly. Yes, sir. Do you have enough experience to be speaker? Because that's a concern some of your colleagues. Yeah, actually, I do. And that's because I spent 20 years in the business community. Um, I actually was a member of our state legislature. I've chaired committees. I know the legislative process. I've worked with our colleagues up here to get a lot of policies done, HR1, HR2, HR5, Limit, Save, Grow. But last but not least, we have a lot of talent in our leadership team and in this body. It's not about one person. It's about all our members collectively. I'm going to go ahead and go in the room, guys. I'll see you later. Boy, was he off the mark on that one. Mm. You know, and... and I kind of understand why President Trump is commentating on the situation, but now endorsingly keeping his distance because the amount of people in there who don't want to get behind one horse, because here's what happens at the end of the day. We're entering a presidential election season. All of these House members are up for re-election. The decision that they make in regards to Speaker of the House or not, whether or not we get another continuing resolution or not, whether or not we eventually see an omnibus to fund the government for the rest of the year or not, et cetera, will now be a referendum on them with less than a year to decide. So as the Democrats in unison continue to vote over and over and over again, 212 for Hakeem Jeffries, we are now at the point where their decision is going to probably directly affect what happens to them in this upcoming election. Are these people going to hurt themselves to the point to where they no longer able to appear with President Trump because people are blaming Congress for this, that, or the other thing? Who knows? And we'll just have to continue to see how this thing plays out. I was honestly ready to be done with this topic. Yeah, me too. A week ago. But after talking to some of the players who are live on the ground for us and providing us with information and direct messages and text messages that we are relaying to you now in real time, we appreciate them but hope at some point we can get to a final disposition on this. We're going to be jumping over right now to the coverage of President Trump's trip in New Hampshire yesterday. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Attention all Americans. Are you tired of sacrificing your values for convenience? Are you sick of funding companies that are at war with traditional American values? Well, we are, and that's why Steak for Breakfast is proud to be partnering with Beard Vet Coffee. Since 2017, they've been supporting vets and veteran charities. They're the fastest growing veteran owned and operated coffee company in the country with 11 distinct blends from dark to light, single source beans from Colombia and Guatemala, which are roasted to perfection. They've also got rubs and beard oils. You've got to try them out, especially their new Beard Vet Energy Concentrate. Go to BeardVetCoffee.com and use promo code STEAK at checkout to save 10% off your total order. Beard Vet Coffee. Make breakfast great again. Joe Biden and the radical left have weaponized law enforcement to arrest their leading political opponent. Nothing like that's ever happened before. This is high-level election interference. They want to damage me so that when you go to the poll, well, I don't know. And it happens a little bit like these maniacs back there. Trump is facing indictment. This is a Biden indictment. This was done by the Biden White House. This is not an indictment. This is a Biden. I challenge the election. I challenge. 
And we're releasing proof more and more. I want this. I want this to go. I want that challenge to go because they don't have a chance of winning. Think of it. Think of it. We challenge the election. Every Democrat challenged the 2016 election. We challenge the election and they indict you for that. Biden has boxes by the thousands, thousands, that he wasn't president, so he wasn't covered by the Presidential Records Act that's meant for this. I, have, I did nothing wrong at all. In fact, my boxes, it was secure, it was, everything was good. This guy, he sent them to Chinatown, to Penn, to Delaware, to all of them. He had somebody, the Corvette, in his garage, which was leaking with a garage door. You could cut those doors open with a scissor. They're the kind of door, you know, you buy them for like $200 on television, right? That's the door security. <laughs> well, President Trump was in a mood yesterday in New Hampshire. He signed his paperwork to appear on the ballot in the primary and then went over to a speaking event with some of his ground team and supporters. It was well attended, to say the least. I do have an update on the speaker's race also. So, you know, Emmer called President Trump this weekend. President Trump said Jesus had a better chance of obtaining the gavel than he does. Mm. He currently has a lot of detractors in conference. And Donald Trump, over the last few minutes here, it's now nearing the 3 o'clock hour on the East Coast, has issued a statement. Noah, I'm going to read it. I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some of them are truly great warriors. Rhino Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of MAGA, which means make America great again. Maybe you've heard of it. He fought me all the way and actually spent more time defending Elon Omar than he did me. He's totally out of touch with Republican voters. I believe he has now learned his lesson because he is saying that he is pro-Trump all the way, but who can ever be sure? Has he only changed because that's what it takes to win? The Republican Party cannot take chance because that's not where America First voters are. Voting for a globalist rhino like Tom Emmer would be a tragic mistake. Yikes. Matt Gates was asked on that social media post from President Trump as he was coming out of Republican conference for lunch break today. Because it's now being reported that Matt Gates did, in fact, vote for Emmer in conference doesn't mean that he will vote for him on the floor. Maybe it's just kind of a way he's looking to expedite the process out of conference. However, Matt Gates said, as a Republican, it is definitely important to listen to the leader of the party. So, again, yeah, it's mixed messaging. I really can't get a good grip on it, especially while we're in show. I'll be able to gather a little bit more intel and, and give you guys a clear picture on what's going on. Yeah, hopefully it's just like an expeditious way to get everything. Like, all right, let's go. What? Fine, I'm going to vote for him just so we can get to the actual real vote. Mm. Speaking of real votes, mm. did you hear about Jebba this morning? Jebba? What, what's she up to? So, you know, back in August when all of these 17 accomplices in the Trump-Georgia case were indicted as well. Mm -hmm. And after, over the last... You know, a couple of weeks we've seen people like Sidney Powell and Chesborough cop plea deals and then come out publicly saying we took the deals to pay the fine and to have misdemeanors and to, instead of having all of these felonies on our records and go to jail forever. But we will not be working with the defense in a case against President Trump. There was another. There's a lot of people that are saying that she pled guilty and now she's going to have to testify against Trump. I don't know how true that is. Well, she took a plea deal, right? This is after she crowdfunded over $250,000 from a GoFundMe for her legal defense, which she no longer needs. Hmm. So where does that money go? 
It's a good question. It's a great question. The answer is directly into her bank account. <laughs> Ooh. So she's getting absolutely destroyed on social media today. And so are some of the people that came out to her defense. Now, when these 17 other people were snared in the nets of the Georgia case, I picked and choose who I wanted to ratio, who I was going to give a pass to, and who I was going to support. Jenna Ellis, from day one, and the moment that it was found that she was going to be indicted here, I still decided to crush. I referenced things like the Trump curse and said that's what you get for your poor representation and stop the steal, etc. Got him. Others were not so much as people like Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, and even Steak for Breakfast social media non-follower Jack Posobiec. Mm. Apparently, the Dewey meme team has now set their sights on him. Oh, I'm going to say in this on situation who? on Jack. Oh, for defending Jebba. That's not good. Good luck. Yeah, that's that's a that's a game changer. Good luck. Thoughts and prayers. Mm. Jumping back into President Trump's speaking event yesterday, he always likes to reference world events and how they're kind of unfolding. We're at the threshold of World War III as far as we're concerned. We'll be covering that in our next news segment. We're also going to have Newsmax contributor Brian Leibin to talk on it a little bit in the situation in Israel. But he loves referencing how he was the only president in such a swift manner to be able to defeat things like the ISIS caliphate. Let's hear it. These people are crazy that we have running our country. But I negotiated peace deal after peace deal, and I brought our troops back home from Syria, from Iraq, from the fight with ISIS, from other countries. I got rid of ISIS because I got rid of the previous rules of engagement. They had rules of engagement. If they'd meet a nest of ISIS, like 25 people that are vicious killers, they'd have to call the White House to get approval to do what they had to do. And so I get in there the first night I'm in there. I get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Sir, there's a colonel on from Iraq. And he'd like permission to wipe out a nest of very bad people. I said, does this happen often? (laughs) Yeah, no, Obama wanted them to call because sometimes they wouldn't give permission. Sometimes they would. Very telling. But I said, let me ask you, Colonel, where did you go to school? Sir, I went to school at West Point. And you studied military and you're really good at it. Yes, sir, I'm good at it. I'm a warrior, sir. And then I speak to other people, too, a captain, a lieutenant. You know, they were calling and I talked to them. So where did you go? I went to West Point, sir. Or I went to Annapolis sometimes along the shore. They had such incredible weapons. Now I went to Annapolis, sir. I was first in my class. I said, wouldn't you be better off uh, making a determination as to what we do with these people? Yes, sir. Anyway, I gave them the right to make their own dis- determination, which is a... And within a period of four weeks, it was over. It was over. We also had somebody that... You've heard that story, but General General Kane, raising Kane. But we had we have some we have let you me like just that say story, we have a Noah. great military. Yeah. They're trying to turn him woke, it's not gonna happen. But And there you have it. You know the failed policies of Barack Obama, who used to reference ISIS as the J V team, were kind of thrown into the wayside once we really decided to engage the caliphate and eventually destroy it in less than a month. And that was under Trump era policies, which became part of the Trump doctrine remember for has george w bushy and they tried to make barack obama's speaking event on whether they killed osama bin laden <laughs> <laughs> donald trump did come out and inform the press that 
Al Baghdadi died in a tunnel like a dog and cried like a little bitch. <laughs> Can't beat it. Can't beat him at this point either. You know, I know last episode, Noah, you referenced some interest in knowing more about the Iron Dome. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if you heard yesterday, but Donald Trump is thinking about putting up one of those bad boys around the entire United States. I feel like we're going to need it eventually if this shit keeps going on. Let's hear it. Together we saved America once before, but we will save America again. And again, we're going to make it better than it ever was. And here are just some of what we will do when we become the 47th president we of the United States. Before I even arrive at the Oval Office, shortly after I win the presidency, I will have the horrible war between Russia and Ukraine settled. Look, that's a war that should have never, would have never taken place. Putin Love would it. have never done it, would have never done it. It'll be done very quickly. The United States must also build a state-of-the-art missile defense shield. Look, we got to have a missile defense shield. We got all these maniacs in all these countries, not only countries, big countries where you can talk and, you know, they have a lot to lose also. But you have people getting nuclear missiles. I wanted to stop that. We, we had it stopped with Iran. We have to have a, a shield. I want to build a shield around our country. And these shields work. Frankly, if, if Israel didn't have a shield, you wouldn't have Israel today. You wouldn't have. They stop thousands of rockets a week. But we have to build a much more sophisticated shield, and it's going to be made right here in the USA, so it's not all bad. And a lot of it's going to be made in New Hampshire. A lot of it's made in New Hampshire. You're going to have a nice big shield. Where have I heard something like that before, putting a suit of armor around the country? <laughs> the planet? Mm. I like it. And I also like this episode we're cranking out today. So wherever you're listening... Across every downloadable podcasting platform that's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Guys, help the show grow. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's free. Bypass the paywall and the mainstream media and follow and download our free podcast so you can get every episode and be caught up to date with honest commentary, impactful analysis, and the best America First guests out there, period. Full stop. In addition, across social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast podcast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Rolling on here. So, Noah, you remember during the 2020 presidential election cycle when Donald Trump and Joe Biden were trading verbal jabs about beating each other up? Yeah. And Joe Biden did the whole, take him out behind the gym and show him my hair legs and (laughs) tell him him what corn pop is. Nobody believed him. Donald Trump really never answered back on that statement until yesterday. (laughs) You remember how some presidents said they wanted to take agencies like the CIA and splinter them into a thousand pieces? Yeah, yeah. Donald Trump would like to do the same thing with Joe Biden's prosthetic nose. <laughs> Let's hear it. Big news. But, but did you ever hear some of these people talking about the viciousness? When you see them in a restaurant, you go in there and you know what you do to them, right? If I ever did that, if I ever did that, problems and then remember when biden i'd like to take him to the back of the barn i dream of that you know what i do with him (laughs) he's shadow boxing i'd hit him right in that fake nose that fake nose they'd have plastic lying all over the floor but i don't want to say that 
So when he says it, they say, oh, he said, remember when he was doing that? I'd like to take him to the back of the barn. You know what you do with him? You just look at him and you go like this. <laughs> but so he can say that and they say, oh, did you hear him? If I said it, they'd say I was violent. I was violent. There's two standards of justice. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> You just said it, Mr. President. Got him. <laughs> no, it was it was great to, to to you know lighten it up a little bit when he's talking about such serious things like national defense and border security and all those other great things. It was also great to see this week. I saw Tom Holman, who's going to be back on the show in November with us. He's been doing a ton of speaking events and reiterating the fact that Donald Trump completed over 560 miles of U.S. southern border wall throughout the course of his presidency debunking a lot of De- DeSantis detractors online. Oh, guess what? Hmm. They are now at day zero until the money runs out. Day zero? I wonder if the Trump campaign is going to start putting negative day ads up on, on their social media saying that, you know, Ron has now negative one days to turn it around. <laughs> Jesus. He's polling at 8% nationally. That's not good. Mm-mm. Single digits, Ron. But the, you know what else isn't good is the approval rating of Joe Biden across the country. You know, I see a lot of these posts out that show Joe Biden is around 40-ish percent in national polls, which is still god-awful. But, you know, I, I just can't believe that it's still that high. And then when you look at some of these poll numbers from Joe Biden that come out in regards to American favorability with him, you just have to take into context it's, it's a lot worse than people are speculating or being honest about online. CNN poll that was... Part of their Sunday morning news circuit came out today, and here's Joe Biden's approval ratings right now. CNN, 30% approve, 70% disapprove. Fox News, 23% approve, 77% disapprove. NPR Maris poll, 32% approve, 62% disapprove. Quinnipiac, 31% approve, 60% disapprove. CBS News, 34% approve, 66% disapprove. And Soulfolk, 31% approve. 66% disapprove. Just absolutely telling numbers for one of the biggest embarrassments of a presidency in the history of our great country. And every time I see posts like that, I just quote tweet it and, and put 81 million votes and just to kind of continue to wake people up. It's funny because you want to look at these people that are like thinking that championing Joe Biden still. It's like these polls don't lie. And these numbers, if they're as bad as they are and actually being put out, that's with damage control built in. It's the truth. Moving on to some polls in President Trump's category now. We've got a 2024 National Republican primary poll out this morning for Morning Consult. President Trump is at 62%. Ron DeSantis, 13. Nikki Haley, 7. Vivek, 6. Pence, 5. Scott, 2. Christy, 2. Hutchinson, 1. Checking in on some of the other numbers that I've seen over the course of the last couple of days. Again, a lot of them highly favoring President Trump and all of them showing him extending his lead over the rest of the fake primary field. A national GOP primary poll that came out on Sunday from Interactive Poll shows President Trump at 60% over the rest of the field. DeSantis, 11, Haley, 7, Ramaswamy, 6, Pence, 4, Scott, 2, Christie, 2. But then went on to a head-to-head matchup. Trump, 71%, Ron DeSantis, 29. Again, I'm still trying to figure out what part of New Hampshire or Iowa or South Carolina Fenway Park in Boston is where Ron DeSantis went to beg for it's the outskirts pennies yesterday and had a photo opportunity with his family there. 
How does the governor of Florida resonate in the state of Massachusetts, Noah? Well, how does the, where does the governor of Florida live? Idaho? He's been living in Iowa for the last Iowa, that's nine right. months. A Harvard-Harris poll that came out yesterday, presidential election, had Donald Trump 52%, Joe Biden 48 head-to-head matchup. When you add RFK Jr. into the equation, Donald Trump 42%, Joe Biden 36 RFK Jr. 22%. Interesting. I saw the Dilly meme team has also segued into destroying RFK Jr., who we like to remind our listenership, is one of the founders of the Climate Mafia. He's historically been a gun grabber. And even though he didn't ideologically line up with Dr. Fauci, this guy's basically like a grandpa version of Hunter Biden. He's been addicted to every single drug under the sun and used to completely abuse hookers. Really? How do you feel about that? I didn't know that. You should see all the memes that are out there. They're absolutely killing him right now. Mm. Just like Donald Trump's killing it in these polls. In a four-way matchup, and you add Colonel West to the equation, Donald Trump 41, Joe Biden 34, RFK Jr. 21, Colonel West 3. And then on a generic ballot, though, just national polled, and this is out of 2,100 registered voters over the course of three days. Democrats have a 51-49% advantage, even though all of the other polls strongly suggest otherwise. So we're going to continue to track that and see what's going on. As far as the numbers go, before we jump into this last clip right now, as always, Donald Trump's closeout from his speaking event in New Hampshire. Let's hear it. We will evict Joe Biden from the White House and we will finish the job once and for all. We're going to make our country greater than ever before. We have a big, big advantage over everybody because we have what's under our feet. You know what I mean? The liquid gold. (laughs) The great silent majority is rising like never before and under our leadership, The forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. Will be forgotten no longer. You, you have been forgotten. With your help, your love and your vote, we will put America first and we will very simply make America great again. Thank you, New Hampshire. God bless you all. It's been a great honor to be with you. Thank you very much, everybody. You know, I waited around to see if he did the little dance because he's been saying at a couple of these speaking events that he's having that sometimes Melania has criticized him and said she doesn't think that. He's a good dancer? It's a, it's in all instances presidential. And now he does this <laughs> thing where he, like, goes to one side of the stage clapping and pointing. He'll do, like, one fist pump. He'll go to the other side of the stage. And then right before he exits behind the curtain, he does a little... <laughs> just to get everybody... And, and if you just listen to the audio of any President Trump speaking events... It's, once hold on, I'm coming comes on, you know when everybody starts screaming, that's when he's dancing. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's at that point that you know he gives us what we need just to get by in such crappy times. I saw Stephen Chong, also a senior advisor from the President Trump's campaign, issued a statement helping us out with some of our uh, geography deficiencies today <laughs> on Ron DeSantis. So this is from yesterday. Rhonda Sanctimonious is making his way to Massachusetts because he needs to beg donors for money since he's dead broke, probably because his campaign is fully funding his extravagant and lavish lifestyle of private jets and endless pudding cups. You think like, you know, when you, you're, you're, you're taking a commercial flight and you see the uh, the sky, sky caps or whatever what the fuck it's called when they're bringing all the food in? Yeah. 
It's just all pudding boxes. There's been memes of it. But no spoons. Chong would continue. Last time we checked, Massachusetts is in Iowa where DeSanctus and always backed out said they would be shifting their focus to. But it doesn't seem like Team DeSantis is too worried about their candidate slipping to third place under Nikki Birdbrain Haley. Jeez. They were taking in the sights and sounds of NASCAR this weekend without a care in the world as their candidate continues to die a slow and agonizing political death. It's almost like they've resigned to the fact that there's no path for DeSanctus or they simply just don't care anymore. Like when you talk about the people of Florida thinking that their governor has just bailed on them, it doesn't get any more bailing on you than moving to another state. When called out for ditching DeSanctus and not being in Iowa where he should be, Christina Pushaw, that's P-O-O, Shaw, began rage tweeting throughout the afternoon to the evening. Trump War Room is glad to have made her day so special and even more so <laughs> memorable. There's only one day left before Jeff Rose deadline for Ron to, quoting now, beat Trump ends. Stay tuned for tomorrow's KOD. Stephen Chung, Trump campaign. Senior spokesman. <laughs> Got him. Endless putty cups. <laughs> so good. You know, with the prospectus of World War Three, on now the event horizon. I mean, some women would say that being able to eat a pudding cup without a spoon is, you know. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of Kingpin. <laughs> Don't look in the rearview mirror. <laughs> We're going to be jumping in with our great friend Brian Leib right now to talk about the situation on the ground in Israel. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this busy Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he is the founder of Henry PR USA. He's also a big-time contributor over at Newsmax. Also does a little of the same here on the show. Mr. Brian Live, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me on, Ron. Well, you know, we always have some kind of good things to talk about, whether it's the president's race or how some of the very few conservatives in the House are fighting for us up on Capitol Hill, et cetera. We haven't had a chance to sit down and, and really share with you since the Hamas attack on Israel 18 days ago, Brian. And, uh, you know, this is ramped up, and, and we've had kind of an opportunity to see the dust settle across the globe, and I'm pretty sure, based off of some of the stuff I've seen in conversation with you and, and, and watching social media, you are not really thrilled with the stance that the current administration has taken, not only on Israel, and, and you know, without saying just as much, trying to handcuff the Israeli uh, nation from defending itself from one of the most, you know, inhumane attacks in the history of our planet, but at the same time, how they've influenced the rest of the world to kind of put pressure on Israel as they get ready to enter the next stage of their counteroffensive. So I just kind of want to let you lead our listenership in on where you're at on this right now and give us a little maybe uh, overview of the whole situation as it's still developing in real time. Yeah, so Rowan definitely uh, is still developing in real time, and it's uh, a minute-to-minute situation right now on the ground in Israel, all signs do point to uh, the IDF going into Gaza and what will be the largest ground offensive that the IDF has undertaken in in decades. Uh, I think no matter who you speak to uh, on this issue in America, that is the American people, I think everyone is very much aligned behind the fact that Hamas 
is evil and Israel is good or represents good. And, and, you know, we're at a point in time right now, guys, where, you know, we have to decide between good and evil, between, you know, radical Islam, radical terrorism versus democracy. Um, and uh, I think the vast majority of the American people are standing on the right side. With that said, you know, you know, we have the, the buffoons in Congress like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar and many others that, uh, are really more interested in, in sowing division here in America and, and, and lying about Israel than they are about probably anything else. That's a conversation maybe for a little bit later. Um, but I, 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 I think, you know, when you look at the whole situation, uh, especially as it relates to the Biden administration, and this has been their calling card, right, from a foreign policy perspective from when they took office and that in, in statements and in tweets, it's one thing. And then in actions, it's something something much different. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing that happen actually really just as of the last 24, 48 hours where Secretary Blinken just gave a fantastic speech at the United, United Nations Security Council. Fantastic speech. But at the end of the day, the, United Na- uh, the U.S. at the United Nations did not veto or step in uh, to put the kibosh on the U.N. sanctions on the ballistic missiles of Iran. So it's like... In statement, it's good. In action, it's the complete opposite. And I think that's just kind of been the, the calling card of uh, the Biden administration so far. And, you know, listen, this uh, entire situation uh, in Israel really has the capacity to really take on a much, much bigger, much bigger war. Um, and, um, you know, it, it has been it has been good, I think, to see, you know, that the U.S. military and other powerful countries uh, are standing behind Israel because if I, as I've said many times, I mean, this is not just supporting Israel. This is supporting the future of mankind. If we let Hamas get away with this, there's no telling what Hezbollah does next. There's no telling what other foreign terrorist organizations do next. So, you know, the time is now to pick a side and the side has never been more easy to pick. This is good versus evil right now, guys. No, I don't disagree with you there, and I think, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to touch on, the response here in the U.S., both from the media, which I think has taken the same stance as they did when the Trump administration killed al-Baghdadi in stating, you know, he was a great theologist and scholar after Donald Trump, you know, had him finished off and destroyed the ISIS caliphate. Now you see the media turning something in uh, from a horrific event, which happened, you know, just about three weeks ago into talking about the plight of the people in Palestine and the humanitarian disaster that they have there, which has completely been caused by Hamas. You know, those people there don't receive water and electricity and, and basic human needs all because of the way Hamas governs that region of, you know, the area in which they're currently living in. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is kind of spun into the streets of places like Washington and Los Angeles and New York City with massive rallies of terrorist sympathizers. At first, you know, you saw everybody with the Palestinian flags that had the creases in them because, you know, they just ordered them from Amazon or wherever they got them from. But now you're starting to see Hamas flags, Islamic Jihad flags and ISIS flags frequently at these events. And it just says, you know, how brainwashed some of the young people in this country. And then, you know, definitely leads uh, another knock on the immigration system here. What kind of people that are coming in and claiming asylum as refugees that are running from persecution are the, at the first instance, they think they could do it taking out to the streets and, and, you know, promoting things like Hamas and Islamic Jihad in the streets of America. It's uh guys, it's a new low for America. Uh, I, I never thought that, that we would 
be in a place right now where whether it's foreign nationals that are here on on visas or American citizens uh, would take to the streets and support Hamas, especially after they saw what Hamas did. This is not a, a fictional event. Uh, we all saw the video. We all saw the images. We've seen what happened. We've seen the the barbaric actions of what these monsters did. Um, and what's really troubling to me, I mean, yes, it's troubling that these 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 people are taking to the streets and having free reign to wave Hamas and ISIS flags. But guys, when reporters go up to them and and say, you know, listen, we understand you're here to support Hamas. Have you seen? You know, the imagery. Have you seen the pictures? And it's just a denial. It, it, it's the, these individuals don't want to accept what Hamas did and, and they want to put it back on Israel that Israel was spinning lies and, 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 and embellishing this and making this a lot worse than it is. And like, that's a real issue. I mean, you know, when the Holocaust was happening, uh, in real time and, you know, images were coming out and stories were coming out, people would say, Oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe people are just embellishing this and maybe it's not really happening. And all, all along, I mean, Nazi Germany was taking not just Jews, but, but other tons of other people to the gas chambers and killing them. Um, and, and we're seeing now, I hate to say it in real time in 2023 in America, like real time Holocaust denial type stuff where these individuals don't want to accept what Hamas did. And the final point uh, in terms of what's happening on the streets of our country, you know, I was in Hungary a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And when I was there, I was watching these protests happen. And I remember I was speaking to Hungarian state media and they said something to me about, you know, you see what's happening in America. Do you feel safe here in Hungary? And without hesitation, I said, you know, to be honest with you guys, I feel safer as a Jew in Budapest right now than I do back in America. And and, and that, by the way, has gone viral. Uh, and, and it should because people should know the truth about what countries like Hungary and other European countries are doing to say that there is zero tolerance for this type of support of Hamas or Hezbollah on their streets. But yet here in America, it's, you know, we're too afraid to take a strong position against people, you know, whether it's the streets of America, the college campuses of America, social media. I mean, if you're supporting Hamas in America, you should be deported, especially if you're a foreign national. You're here on a visa. You want to wave the Hamas flag? Goodbye. Good riddance. Get out of our country. Um, so it's it's a real bad state of affairs right now. And, of course, the, the elephant in the room, and we've talked about the wide open southern border before, the elephant in the room is how many of these individuals have already made it through our border and are already here in America potentially asleep or cells. That is really a big concern of mine. If they could do it in Israel, there's there's no reason they couldn't do it here, especially with how open our border is right now. Sorry yeah. to be alarmist, but I think that's reality. No, it's the truth. And you I've know, said the same thing. Yeah, we're going to touch on that uh, information that was leaked to the press uh, that was released, uh, I think, uh, originally to Fox News this week from uh, Customs and Border Patrol, which showed that they were, you know, disseminating information amongst themselves, being uh, bringing awareness to the fact that these are the symbols of Hamas and Islamic Jihad, et cetera, and, and look for these people to come in claiming asylum or, or even claiming asylum as people from other countries, even though they might be tied to the Middle East because there are huge ties to Hamas and uh, Hezbollah. 
down in, in Central and Southern America and even up through Mexico, it, all tied to the cartels. So, you know, we, we have to remain as vigilant as possible, as, especially with these, you know, massive protests in the streets, which, you know, Brian, you talked about the press. I, I think it's something that we definitely need to touch on. Why did it take Bibi Netanyahu and the IDF and the Ministry of Information in Israel to sit down with members of the international press yesterday and show them some of the social media accounts and telegram channels and communications that were happening during the initial attack to have to kind of sway public sentiment towards the fact that the media wants everybody to forget about what happened 18 days ago. And they want everyone to remember that the Israelis and Palestinians, not the Israelis and Hamas have kind of been bickering with each other for hundreds, if not thousands of years. I went and found some of the receipts that were given to the press. These were even worse than some of the stuff that we saw in real time that was leaking on social media. When you talk about the level of atrocities or the uh, prisoner debriefings that they had where they said exactly like they did not expect to go back. They expected to be killed and die as martyrs. They wanted to rape, kill, and just absolutely destroy men, women, and children in any fashion they can, but as brutally as they can. And, and it seems like the press just kind of took it and, and, and did really nothing with it. I don't see so much change in, in at least the American media that I've been watching for the last 48 hours. What about you? You know, it's uh, Jew hatred is the oldest form of hatred. Uh, and, and as you look back over the centuries, um, Jews have really been the scapegoat for a lot of the world's problems. And and have been tried people and, and regimes and, and powers have tried to exterminate Jews for forever. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, when you look at what's happening in the media, when you look at members of Congress, when you look at, um, you know, Americans here taking to the streets to support Hamas, it really all just comes back to this deeply rooted hatred um, of Jews. And, and it's something that I've never really been able to wrap my head around. I mean, by no way, shape or form are Jews perfect, just like any other religion or any other race. Uh, but I've never truly been under, been able to understand why there's so much hatred for, for Jews. And, and when you look at, you know, the, uh, the media and, and their complicitness with all this, it, it all comes back to that. I mean, the fact that, that foreign media and here in America, New yeah. York Times, etc., were so quick to say that Israel bombed the hospital, killing 500 people, 600 people. They didn't fact check. They didn't care to fact check. They didn't care for an investigation to come out. It fit their narrative that they wanted to push out that Israel just bombed the hospital. Well, what do we know now? We know that, first of all, Israel did not bomb that hospital. Second of all, it was an errant rocket from Palestinian Jihad, who was another small terrorist group inside of Gaza, not Hamas, but a different group inside of Gaza. And they are the ones that are responsible for any casualties at this hospital. And by the way, the hospital was never hit. It was a parking lot that was hit. So there are so many lies that 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 happen here. But when you have the media, when you have powerful members of Congress that are spreading lies in real time, it goes viral. And let's not forget, guys, as 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 news broke right about about how Israel had allegedly bombed this hospital. Our embassies around the world, especially in the Middle East, were being set on fire. Also, Israeli embassies were being set on fire. People were taking to the streets, marching on our embassies. And this was all based on a lie. They, it was all based on a lie. And 
you know, the media is complicit in a lot of ways. And, oh, it's great. The New York Times issued a retraction. They apologize. Well, you know what? Screw them. They've been doing this for years. It's not just with Israel. It's with a lot of other things. Um, and uh, it's 2023. And we've got Americans taking to the streets to support Hamas. It's 2023. And over 1,400 Jews were just savagely murdered, which, by the way, is the equivalent of around 50,000 Americans, 50,000 Americans. And now we're in a world where the, the, the United States and just now the United Nations a couple hours ago, people are calling for restraint. Yep. People are calling for ceasefire. It is utter nonsense. No one, when 9-11 happened, when, when I was a 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy, there was no one saying, hey, U.S., maybe you guys shouldn't do this. Maybe you shouldn't do that. You know, no one said that to us. But why is or why are people, and especially the president of this country, Sleepy Joe, why is he issuing these statements about ceasefire and this and that? Like, no, Hamas has to be eradicated. That has to happen. And as I said earlier in, in our in our chat here, that's not just for the future of Israel. That's for the future of mankind. Terrorist groups like this should not have any oxygen anywhere in the world to breathe full stop end of conversation no that's it right there and and you know i didn't even want to touch on the, the biden administration for the most part because they've just been an absolute embarrassment all the way from starting back with joe biden's original statements his trip to israel what he said since and, and the fact that he's trying to tie up appropriations and aid to the region with things like ukraine money and for processing legals on the u.s southern border i also feel like the world is going to really have to condition itself for what it's going to see when the next phase of the Israeli counteroffensive begins because everyone has done nothing but speak bad about Israel over the course of the last couple of weeks, setting them up for, at least in the media, to fail when they go in and, like you said, eradicate and finish off Hamas, which, uh, you know, again, for all of those people out there who haven't formulated an opinion on this and, and you know, think that we're in a good spot right now, we did go to two different 20-year wars over what happened on 9-11. And, and the magnitude of what happened in Israel and the amount of people that were killed and in the fashion they were killed by for the amount of time that that, you know, attack happened a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, it, it not only rehashes uh, things of that nature, but it puts it into a digital age perspective that I think a lot of people really just don't take into consideration. So, Brian, this was great to yeah. down with you today and, and getting some of your commentary on this. We find it very helpful to not only, you know, explain the narrative a little bit better, but, but getting a, you know, real-time perspective on it. And we're going to be live linking your new PR firm in the show description today. For anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Check me out at uh, on all the platforms, Brian Live, L-E-I-B is the last name. And also feel free to follow uh, my new PR firm called Henry Public Relations, which is solely dedicated to uh, elevating conservative voices and conservative brands and national media and international media. So uh, thanks again for having me on, guys, and letting me speak the truth about what's happening in the Middle East right now. Oh, thank you very much as well. This guy always is bringing the great commentary. He brought a little fire and fury as well today. This is Brian Live. Thanks for jumping in on the show with us. Do you believe that all 10 unaccounted for Americans are being held hostage? Uh, Kristen, we don't know. As you said, we've got 10 unaccounted for Americans. Uh, we believe that uh, some significant number are hostages. But, you know, what's happening is, and it just underscores the horror, uh, Israel continues to discover, uncover people who were killed, who were slaughtered. And I use that uh, term very advisedly slaughtered on October 7th. So what we don't know for sure is whether some of the um, unaccounted for are dead, 
and have simply not been uncovered yet, or whether they're hostage. But we, we have a pretty strong idea that some number of the 10, at least, are being held in, in Gaza by Hamas. A few seconds we have left here. I want to ask you about the more than $100 billion in aid that President Biden is requesting mm. from Congress currently in a state of paralysis without a Speaker of the House. How can the U.S. deliver on that aid if you can't get it through the House, where there are also deep divisions <laughs> about potentially linking aid to Israel and Ukraine? We, we need to see the continuation of strong bipartisan support for both Ukraine and for Israel. We have two friends who are under attack in different ways, but you heard the president speak very powerfully, very eloquently to this uh, the other night, speaking what? to the American people. We know that if we let would-be aggressors uh, act with impunity, whether it's um, a state like Russia, whether it's terrorists like Hamas, we open a Pandora's box for other aggressors around the world uh, to try to get away with the same thing. Um, so we have to stand strongly with our friends. We have to stand strongly with both Ukraine and with Israel. We have to be looking out for the people of Gaza who, who are caught in this crossfire. Uh, the, the supplemental budget request, the money the president asked Congress for, would do just that. It gives us the assistance that uh, Ukraine needs, that Israel needs, and also that the people of Gaza needs uh, with a lot of humanitarian aid. So we need Congress. And we need it to, to move forward on the strong bipartisan basis we've already seen when it comes to supporting both Ukraine and Israel. And I hope the people of Gaza. I, I hate that all those are just connected. The biggest money laundering operation in the history of fucking the world. It's pretty funny. He forgot to mention the U.S. southern border, which is also tied to that aid package. Yeah, but it's going to be substantially less, I'm sure. Well, it is. And it all, all it's doing is processing illegals faster. So as we highlighted on our Friday edition of the show in that statement from the White House, which came out over the weekend, we're going to get into the border disaster a little bit at the end of this clip. But, you know, how fast that this whole thing has spiraled. And then when you saw the mis-messaging from the Biden administration on the heels of it, first it was stand with Israel, then it was Israel must show restraint. Now it's... Secretary of State Blinken reiterating the atrocities that happened there 18 days ago. And it's like they go behind closed doors and they're like, okay, we really need to fund Ukraine. But at the same time, we don't want Israel to spiral out of control. But again, we really need to fund Ukraine. So what are we going to do? Link them together. Make them synonymous with what we have to do. Otherwise, the bad people are going to do this everywhere. Synonymy, I like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> SecDef was on this week in Fake News, ABC this weekend, and he was talking about a little bit of different messaging, and that's the American readiness in the region. Let's hear him. Now is Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. Secretary Austin, thank you for being here. I, I want to start with those moves you announced uh, late yesterday, last night. You've got the uh, USS Eisenhower going to the Persian Gulf. You've got more uh, missile defense systems headed to the region, troops put on standby. What's behind these moves? Well, Jonathan, as you know, uh, recently we've seen rocket and UAV attacks against uh, bases housing uh, our troops in Iraq and Syria. We're concerned about potential escalation. Uh, in fact, uh, what we're seeing is a is the prospect of a this guy's such a moron significant escalation of attacks uh, on our troops and uh, our our people throughout the region. 
And because of that, we're going to do what's necessary to make sure that our troops are, uh, are in the right, uh, good position, uh, oh. they're, they're protected, oh. and that we have the ability to respond. You can't, now, you can't, you can't remember uh, this additional uh, deployment uh, sends uh, another message to those who would, who would uh, seek to widen this conflict. As President Biden said earlier, and as you've heard me say, uh, if any group or any uh, country is looking to widen this conflict and take advantage of this very unfortunate uh, situation that we see, um, our advice is don't. We maintain the right to defend ourselves, um, and we won't hesitate to take the appropriate action. Yeah, I'm sure we're having our enemies quiver in their boots with our wonderful leaders that are in charge of everything right now. You know, it's so fun. So scared. So scary. It's funny that they couldn't invoke Article 5. Are you going to send the the dude in a women's military uniform or somebody else? No, it's the truth. And they couldn't invoke Article 5 in Ukraine. And Joe Biden, who I guess reassured the nation last week with his powerful statement, don't segue a little bit this morning. No, you're going to have to do a little geography for me. Mm. Referencing a trip with Xi Jinping. America can be defined by a single word. I was in the Tibetan plateau with Xi Jinping. I spent a great deal of time with him one-on-one back when I was vice president and since then. And he looked at me and he said, we just had simultaneous interpreters. He said, can you define America for me? And I said, I can. One word. I mean it sincerely. Don't. Possibilities. Damn it. Possibilities. Just want to remind everybody that's the leader of the free world. Semicolon, 81 million votes. Hashtag Bidenomics. Man, I'm getting crushed. You know, just in the last couple of days, gas had jumped up 20 cents again here in, in SoCal. And it's just, it's ugly. Americans are reeling right now. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people make their way over to the Trump train. It's just the way it is. You know, our great friend, who's going to be on the show with us Friday, retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor, appeared in the newest installment of Tucky on X, formerly Twitter yesterday, Noah. Oh, nice. What did McGregor have to say? Well. I can't wait to have that guy back again. He is, he is like the most well-spoken. I could see him in a military uniform just knife-handing the shit out of people and telling them what's what. He actually gave some some pretty telling details on some of the stuff that's going on in the region over there including casualties of U.S. Special Forces in Gaza when they went in with the Israelis to kind of probe for the larger offensive that's coming fairly soon here. That seems alarming. Yeah, that's not good. I don't hear anywhere in the mainstream media or the print press here in the States talking about American casualties in Israel. And I think that when you take this whole thing into perspective... You know, Colonel McGregor told us here on the show, much like he told Tucker Carlson, that there's been American boots on the ground in places like Ukraine since last year. And now American boots on the ground in Gaza, even though they're telling you they're not. Joe Biden did a good job of doxing them all last week. Jeez. When you initially showed me that picture and I saw it online, I saw the black boxes thinking that that is what they actually put out. And then later on, somebody sent me the picture where it was 
not like that. Yeah. It's just asinine. Like, there's no fucking way. Like, I know this administration is stupid and impotent and fucking pointless, but, like, there's no way that these people are that dumb. Like, there's no way. But then you just heard a clip of Lloyd Austin talking, Noah. Yeah, so then I, yeah, I I regret saying that because they are that dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. Power, while substantial, may not have the desired impact on the ground. We're going to hear that clip from Colonel McGregor right now from Tucker on X last night. Let's check it out. Power, while substantial, may not have the desired impact on the ground that we would like. And then finally, we have no real army anymore. The army is down to perhaps, what, 450,000? How much of that is ready to fight is open to debate. Much of it is sitting in Eastern Europe right now. We, we don't have the means to rapidly ship a large force of 80 to 100,000 troops on the ground into the region, which means that we're reliant on special forces and right now 2,000 Marines and perhaps 2,000 special forces and special operations forces. That's not going to make much of a dent. And as we've seen quite recently within the last 24 hours or so, uh, some of our special ops forces and Israeli special ops forces went into Gaza to reconnoiter, to plan for where they might want to go to free hostages and, and make an impact. And they were shot to pieces and took heavy losses, as I understand it. I think that's where we're headed. And I don't see that as a win for Israel in any way, shape or form. And I certainly think it's very dangerous for us. And again, where in the mainstream media here in the United States or anywhere are you hearing that American special forces took heavy losses in Israel over the course of the last couple of days? Nowhere. You're hearing it here on Steak for Breakfast, and you'll hear it again. Actually, it's funny. This is the second time that we were scheduled with Colonel McGregor. He was supposed to join us today, but pushed us to be in studio with Tucky. I mean, you can't blame him. I've always been told you're supposed to strike while the iron's hot, so mm-hmm. we'll be doing just that on Friday. With our favorite retired Army Colonel, Senate Republican Minority Leader, Werther's original enthusiast, mm. Mitch the Tortoise McConnell. The worst turtle. Was on CBS's Deface the Nation this weekend. He didn't answer a question about his health and stated, I'm fine. Everything's okay. I am fine. <laughs> I like it. I'll allow it. <laughs> but was out stumping for money for Ukraine. Let's hear him. It's all interconnected. And you've said that <laughs> we sound you just like there him. is enough oversight of aid to Ukraine. Why hasn't that persuaded some members of the of the Republican caucus? If you look at the Ukraine assistance, let's let's talk about where the money's really going. Into the a pockets significant of portion of it's being spent in the United States in thirty eight different states, replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's what President Biden's seeking to do. It's it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're re- rebuilding our industrial base. Uh, the Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. Oh. I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's Wonderful that they're defending themselves. And also the notion that the Europeans are not doing enough. They've done almost $90 billion. They're housing a bunch of refugees who escaped. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that our NATO allies in Europe have done quite a lot. 
You sound like you have a lot in common with President Biden in his worldview. Based on both what you retarded. Just laid out. Well, not on the domestic side, but on, on this issue that we were discussing today, we're generally in the same place. Wow. Yeah, man. The amount of people who are regularly spoon-fed this shit and eat it right up, too, they're, they're almost as, ab, as big a problem as Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and Lloyd Austin, Tony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, and all of them are. Like, the, there's people that still don't know the media is lying to them. Like 24-7. Yeah. Like, you, if you haven't woken up... Over the last two, three, four years, you're never going to wake up. Like, you are just lost. Yep. You know, they are convening up in New York City today. Uh, they're having a session of the United Nations. And Israel, who hasn't had the opportunity to present their counteroffensive platform and where they stand to the international community while the body is all together, had their foreign minister out there today, and he was fire and brimstone, etc. Let's hear him. I hear the call for proportionality. I hear the calls, as said Lynn before, for a ceasefire. Tell me, what is a proportionate response for killing of babies? For rape women and burn them? For beheading of a child? How you can agree to a ceasefire? with someone who swore to kill and destroy your own existence. How? The proportional response to October 7 massacre is a total destruction, a total destruction to the last one of the Hamas. It is not only Israel's right to destroy Hamas, it's our duty. For Israel, it's a matter of survival. The free world should remember and never forget what happened on October 7th. Today, this barbaric terror hit Israel. Tomorrow, it will be at everyone's doorstep. At everyone's doorstep. There's a lot of emotion wound up into that. Yeah. And again, it's not for us to tell you guys how you should formulate your opinion on the situation, whether or not you can't ignore the fact that this has gone on for decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years between the sex out there. But you can't lose focus. Our media news cycle can't spin that fast that literally 18 days ago, all of this stuff happened and everyone wants you to forget about it. You've heard it from some of our most powerful leaders. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin He's talking about Iran. Secretary of State Tony Blinken has no idea about hostages. Joe Biden is saying, don't. Possibilities. Like, and then you have Mitch McConnell out there just shilling for the military-industrial complex. Rebuilding our stockpiles of cash. I think what our European allies have done is wonderful. It's peachy. It's horrific. And, you know, it's kind of like Brian Lai pointed out before. We can't forget because what we tend to do in such a technological age where there is so many distractions and a lot of shit going on here stateside is to not weigh these things in the appropriate fashion that they should 
and then we just become immune to them. I really wish that the press, even the international press, would have made a lot of these images and videos and prisoners of war interrogation more readily available to the public. But for those who have sought them out, kind of sees there are two sides to this story. And in regards to Israel having to hold any restraint as far as the counteroffensive goes, and you know, shame on those people because you have to root these things out. We can't cheer Donald Trump eliminating ISIS and destroying the caliphate in three weeks and not expect Israel to want to destroy Hamas in the same fashion. ISIS was doing the same thing to the people in Iraq, Christians, Jews, and Muslims. They didn't differentiate. They tied these people up. They beheaded them. They burned their bodies. They raped people. We loved it when Donald Trump killed al-Baghdadi and destroyed ISIS. We should probably appreciate the fact that Israel is willing to do the same thing to Hamas. But that's neither here nor there. I saw yesterday, as we're getting ready to wind down here and jump in with Boris Epstein and get an update on the Trump campaign, Peter Ducey was outside the White House talking about these numbers that came out quietly and on Saturday out of the press cycle. Numbers from U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Eight plus a million illegal aliens confirmed by DHS since Biden took office. That's not including getaways. Mm. DHS has encountered 267 positive hits on the terrorist watch list. There's the doorstep. Not including getaways. Almost 73,000 illegal special interest aliens coming from countries that harbor or support terrorism over the last two years have come into the United States. This is a 100% deliberate act. Peter Ducey was talking about this outside the White House on Monday, and I'm going to play the clip from it right now. You're at home. Hey, Peter. Ainsley, the intel arm of CBP is out with a new bulletin, and it has a very alarming headline. It says foreign fighters of Israel-Hamas conflict may be encountered at the southwest border. Daily Caller got a copy of this material that was posted three days ago, and it's warning about fighters from Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad trying to exploit the poorest southern border. Because, uh, And part of the concern is that they can see the same things that everybody else sees, these numbers. Uh, a record 2.48 million encounters in a fiscal year, and among them at least 172 people on the terror watch list. That is 172 who actually came face-to-face with law enforcement and didn't get away. When the Border Patrol is so overwhelmed that most agents are no longer on patrol because they're dealing with this self-inflicted humanitarian crisis, that's when the fentanyl comes across and kills over 100,000 Americans. That's when the sex trafficking of women and children skyrocket. And that's when non-inspected terrorists will use that vulnerable border to get into this country. President Biden did speak with Benjamin Netanyahu yesterday, but he remains at the Rehoboth Beach House this morning. The plan is to leave for the White House around 1030 to get back here for a Bidenomics event this afternoon. <laughs> Ainsley. All right. That's scary when you look at those numbers. The number of- Scary? Scary, Ainsley? Yeah. It's going to be a lot more than scary when shit starts popping off here due to the complete reversal of Trump-era policies. We saw that they referenced... That CBP intel that came out of the apparently San Diego field office. And it was sent out to the news agencies last week, alerting 
officers that are working along the U.S. southern border that foreign fighters from Hamas, Hezbollah, and Palestine's Islamic Jihad foreign fighters, brigades inspired by the Israeli conflict, are coming across the U.S. southern border. It then gives instructions and indicators on what to look for. And that the fact that these people are going to come in as military-age males probably affixed to fake family units. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. When, did, when did that happen in the re- recent years? We're going to have to credit Jennifer Tare, who's an immigration reporter with the Daily Caller, as far as breaking that story over the weekend. I think it's really important for our listenership to be keyed in on that. Go check out her profile and get a little bit more information on it. You know, and man, it's it's just gotten to the point right now to where it's not if, but when. There's no way for the absolute disastrous fashion that this administration has gone down conducting themselves over the last nearly three years now and the way the entire world has just popped off that our southern border is at some point going to give Joe Biden a break and let him get out of office without some kind of major incident. I, I think we really can't speculate on the severity of what's going to happen to when that does and where the blame's going to go. I'm pretty sure they're going to try and blame the brave men and women who defend our borders first. They'll try to parlay that into figuring out some way to blame Donald Trump. Of course. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just going to be the usual load of crap that we need to go and fight somebody else because we have to fund the military-industrial complex. We're getting ready to jump in with Boris right now, but before I've got one more clip, as our last audio clip of the day, I saw... I don't even know what to call her anymore. It's Nicole Wallace mm. on MSDNC. Gross. And believe it or not, and and just as I speculated, they were saying that the world was a much more dangerous place when Donald Trump was president. Really? Let's hear it. Still? You know, I, I am interested in what Liz Cheney says, Mary, but I'm more interested in when she says it. And it was interesting to me that she was out yesterday. I mean, she it's the first time she's spoken since Trump celebrated Hezbollah, called them, quote, very smart. Um, it's the first time she's sort of come made on. an appearance since some of this new reporting has come out. John Carl had some of it, and, and we had it here here um, when that first broke. Um, and it's the first time that I think a broad coalition of Americans realizes that if Donald Trump were president right now, the world would be a much, much more dangerous place. Really? With the Middle East on a, on a hair trigger, um, with threats of violence at home, with Jewish American communities, with Muslim American communities terrified right now. The country probably couldn't handle a Trump presidency, wherein his own chief of staff described him as, quote, the most damaged human being he'd ever seen. Mm. And a couple of defense secretaries were out the door for cause, for things they saw that gave them concern about U.S. national security. How do you assess this moment? As again, opposed to the national security concerns we have right now? Presidential election. You know, Peter Strzok was sitting on that panel and he's nodding the entire time. What a fucking rim job. And, and they mentioned Liz Cheney at the top. You know, she did appear across the the. Sunday morning news circuit teasing the fact that she hasn't ruled out running for president of the United States yet. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Have fun with that. These people must just have no social media presence because when you've seen what no, they've they, done to Ron. They're, they're completely just lost. They're, they're just, well, this is what we have to say. I'm just going to keep saying it, even though it makes no sense anymore. Makes no sense whatsoever. Donald Trump weighed in on the situation on Truth Social last night. I'm going to read a post of his as we're getting ready to wrap right now. The fight in Gaza is, quoting, 
coming home to the USA. Tens of thousands of strong men from the Middle East have already invaded our country and are continuing to come totally unchecked and will be a problem the likes which we have never seen before. Crooked Joe Biden is very ignorant, in parentheses, stupid man, who has never been right on foreign policy issue in his life. Close our borders now, stop the onslaught, and stop the invasion. Seems pretty simple. Yeah. Democrats don't want it. They don't care about you and their families. When it's them who are getting robbed at gunpoint and carjacked or having their staffers beat up across the country, they just completely ignore it, and they'd much rather have this absolutely disastrous border situation, which will probably be the spark that lights the next terrorist event in this country, Mm -hmm. ready to go, and like you just heard, ready to blame Donald Trump and America first for So as we're getting ready to wrap up the show right now, we're going to be jumping in with Boris, who's going to give us an update on the Trump campaign. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the longstanding MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is a senior advisor to President Trump and always coming in hot on steak for breakfast. Very excited to be sitting down again with Mr. Boris Epstein. Boris, thanks for joining us on the show. It is my pleasure and my honor to join the champions on the show. You know, President Trump has been hot, hot, hot lately. It's kind of cliche to say, but it's the truth. He had a wonderful uh, signing of his intent to run in the New Hampshire primary yesterday. He got all that paperwork filled out. He was signing MAGA hats and kissing babies. And then he took to the stage and gave a powerful address where he talked about great things he did domestically, supporting law enforcement. He went into geopolitics and talked about how, reminded everybody how he destroyed the ISIS caliphate and how fast that happened. Again, lent his support to the nation of Israel, Boris. And then, you know, even said, uh, if, it, if it ever came down to it, where Joe Biden and Donald Trump would happen to run into each other behind a barn, how that would end. So I just want you to kind of give our listenership a little bit of an update from the campaign trail and let everybody know how the 45th president's doing right now. Well, thank you so much. And there's three words that describe the state of this campaign, where it is right now. And the words are full spectrum dominance. President Trump is dominating across all points across all fronts as you said new hampshire yesterday iowa trips recently he's been all across the country and the polling is absolutely annihilating demolishing to any of the other let's call them pretenders or the keebler as steve bannon calls them just today morning consul president trump at 62 and the florida government ron just sanctimonious at 13 a poll over the weekend had the president about 60 and uh, Ron and Nikki Haley tied at eight. This is not a race. It is, it is an embarrassment. It is time for everyone in the Republican Party to come together, get behind President Trump, and let's go win this election. Let's save our country, and let's save the world. And I'll, I'll tell you this, as a you know, pr- proud Jewish American, what happened in Israel two-plus weeks ago now was 
devastating. It was shocking and it was unacceptable. And it only happened because we have a weak, absolutely inept, ineffective, quote unquote, leader in the White House. Under President Trump, we wouldn't have a war in Europe and Ukraine. We wouldn't have this disastrous, worst day for Jews since the Holocaust. Worst, the worst day of death for the Jewish people since the Holocaust on Joe Biden's watch. None of this would be occurring under President Trump, and none of it will be happening once President Trump is back in the Oval Office. No, those are some excellent points you made. We did do you know a lot of coverage today on that stuff. We just finished wrapping up on on how close we are to World War III. Definitely included a lot of Israel stuff in there. Had Newsmax contributor Brian Leibin a little bit earlier to uh, give us some you know perspective from the the Jewish community and how this is kind of shaping up right now. And it, it's just awful the way this administration not worried about our uh, you know people who are being held hostage, calling for a ceasefire, calling for restraint, and, and trying to make everyone forget what actually happened in Israel less than, you know, three weeks ago is one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in, in my lifetime. And I think that, you know, it's it's the continued support for Israel that President Trump continues to, you know, promote on the campaign trail. That's definitely going to help the situation once he gets back into office. So that's a great point you make there, Boris. You mentioned the primary and Ron DeSanctimonious. We, we call him single digits Ron, 8% Ron. We all know where that campaign has gone. I don't even want to say going because it's beyond over. I, I'm still trying to figure out where in any of the first five primary states Fenway Park is because that's where Ron DeSanctimonious was having a photo shoot yesterday with his family. But I'm not a, you know, Geography expert, so I'm going to leave that up to no, you. No, 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 you can understand it. It's actually all of a sudden it's a good thing when a quote unquote candidate who has no money left goes to Liberal Boston, goes to two fundraisers with a bunch of rhinos, and raises all in all a couple of hundred thousand bucks. All of a sudden, that's a good thing only for a failing, pathetic campaign for a candidate who's been completely exposed and a candidate who has shown the American people that he's absolutely not. To the point of leadership, but look what Randy Fine, Representative Randy Fine, look what he came out and did today. He said the only Jewish representative in Florida came out and said, "You know what? I'm not backing the sanctimonious anymore. I'm all in on President Donald J. Trump." And that's where the country is. Huge endorsement. Speaking of which, yesterday there was also one that went under the radar a little bit, but President Trump took the time to acknowledge it. That's Michigan businessman, no longer presidential primary candidate, Perry Johnson, who said he understands the severity of the upcoming election next year, Boris. He has decided to end his race to seek the nomination for the Republican Party as far as president goes and put his full, complete, and total endorsement behind Donald Trump and MAGA. Donald Trump sent him a very nice post on True Social, which I shared on all all of our social medias yesterday. I just want you to kind of touch on that. And, you know, how important is it for the other people in this race to start to identify that Donald Trump has segued? He's focused on the general election right now. He's hitting Joe Biden so hard because of all the stuff that's going on in the world, and they should really follow suit as soon as possible. Well, Perry Johnson is a smart businessman, and he did the smart thing. He coalesced behind President Trump, and absolutely all these other quote-unquote candidates, really pretenders, they need to be doing the same thing. But broader, we as a Republican Party, and let's be honest, MAGA-dominated Republican Party need to be doing exactly that, exactly what Perry Johnson just did. What's important, what is important is for our country to be safe, for us to have a real border. If you look at what happened in Israel, if anybody thinks that can't happen in America, you're fooling yourself. Nobody knows who's coming into our country. President Trump stopped it once. He will stop it again. He will save America and keep us safe. 
He certainly will. And, you know, that goes into my last point, Boris. You want to talk about segueing towards the general election here. We have the third Republican debate coming up for the primary. Donald Trump, again, won't be participating. I don't blame you for losing count because nobody's watching him, my man. As a matter of fact, he'll be hosting a rally less than 20 miles away from the event at the exact same time. I don't want to handcuff the campaign and put numbers on it, but there are people speculating that there could be tens of thousands of people in attendance. And this is right in Ron DeSantis's backyard. When you talk about the drawing power of Donald Trump and how successful your team has been in guiding you know, the campaign through this primary season and already getting ready to focus on the general election campaign before we've even hit Iowa, Boris. What could we say about that counter-programming to the RNC debate? And, and what do you expect as far as Donald Trump just absolutely stealing the show like he always does? Well, it's all about President Trump. He is the authentic candidate. He is the candidate who connects to all Americans and the one who's being supported in ways and in numbers we've never seen before. This is a movement that has never been seen before in this country. And you're seeing it all over Florida. In Florida, President Trump's up by about 40 points on the sitting Florida governor. You're, st- you're seeing it all over the country. That's absolutely going to continue. And then for the general election, when President, you draw the contrast between President Trump and his strength, his ability to ensure that America is safe and powerful, respected, let's be honest, respected and feared by both our adversaries and our allies and contrast that to how we're disrespected and sat in the face of day in and day out under feckless Joe Biden. We know where we need to be. Americans know who they want as their leader, and that's President Donald J. Trump. Yeah, you saw Joe Biden's approval ratings throughout the course of the weekend on the Sunday morning news circuit, and they were just abysmal. There wasn't one that was higher than 33% on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, CBS, you name it. So we're going to continue to track President Trump as we always do, Boris. We're going to continue to track you as well. We're going to direct everybody to the campaign website and to your website as well. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Thank you so much. Honor to be with you as always. My website is BorisCP.com. Sign up for right now. Hot on BorisCP.com. Hot on Getter at BorisCP. Twitter at BorisCP. Hot on Social at Boris. And of course, hottest on the ground. Boris underscore upside. Stay strong. God bless. And all offense. Offense it is. This is the senior advisor to President Trump, one of our great friends. Boris Upside, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, this was kind of a shit show today. What do you think, Noah? When when has it not been a shit show lately? If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 290 other editions of the show, you better be downloading us across every podcasting platform known to man. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Find the show, follow it, make sure it's downloading. Leave a five-star review. And on Apple and Spotify, rate the show as well. In addition, across all of our social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Thanks to all our guests for coming in and joining us today. Newsmax contributor Brian Leib, former chief of staff to the DOD, Cash Patel, and senior assistant on the Trump 2024 campaign, Boris Epstein. They all helped make this episode of Steak great again. Guys, don't worry. It's a busy week. We've got a packed schedule on Friday now, apparently, due to all of our reschedules. We'll be sitting down with a trio of congressmen and women. Probably Lauren Boebert, Rep Klein, Andy Ogles. Kingsley Cortez will be here, and we'll get the latest on World War III from Colonel Douglas McGregor. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Ron. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Don't stress out over the speaker situation. And take care.
shave. And I believe I remember telling Tony is Tony Tony live and otherwise that what we needed was a pseudo armor around the world. Remember that? Whether it impacted our precious freedoms or not, that's what we needed. Well, that didn't work out, did it? I said we'd lose. You said we'll do that together too. And guess what, Cap? We lost. And you weren't there. But that's what we do, right? Our best work after the fact. What are the Avengers? We're the Avengers, not the pre-Avengers. Okay. Right? You made your point. Just sit down. Okay. okay?